Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well with Arabile Kumede. This podcast series is dedicated to considering what decisions we need to commit to in order to see meaningful change. Powered by Standard Bank. Purely by trying to do good with your capital does not mean you cannot do well. So you can make market rate returns with impact investing, but it's a strategy. Yeah. Just like any strategy, you can also lose money. You can also make purposeful trade-offs. Welcome to Investing in Our Future, Acting Now and Acting Well, a podcast series unpacking how to redefine business for a regenerative future. In this podcast series, myself, Arabi Lekumete, will be unpacking the current state of environmental, social, as well as corporate governance in South Africa and the shifts needed to make a fundamental change that can achieve a resilient and regenerative economy. If we don't act now, we risk everything. We have reached the limits of business as usual. The environment, society, and even the economy can no longer afford for us to play the blame game. The world is asking us to solve our own problems as business and society. One thing is for sure though, that if we succeed in acting now and acting well, we can redesign our economy and unlock sustainable growth. This time around, we're talking about impact financing in the world of ESG. Orni Payton Power, who is an author as well as an associate fellow at the University of Oxford, joins us as we unpack this one. And it's a really interesting discussion. Orni, thank you so much for the time. Let's very quickly then kick off on what is impact investing or impact financing? Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well. Powered by Standard Bank. Oni, thank you so much for the time. Let's talk very quickly about what is impact investing and, and impact financing. What What is that all about, actually? It's actually quite simple. It's investment that's looking for financial return alongside positive social and environmental impact. So it's money that's looking to make more money, but also create positive impact for society, for the environment uh, and for other individuals. In doing so, though, does it become measurable? I mean, you know, as you said, it, it moves through society and creates a better society and the like. But can you then measure it? Is it financial? Is it environmental? So I guess then quantitative versus qualitative, right? So we value things all the time that we can't see. So if you look at, for instance, any stock exchange, let's take the the NASDAQ in the United States, something like 90% of the value in the NASDAQ is what we call intangible. It is not trucks and buildings. It is brands and it is software and it's things that we actually can't see that are intangible values. And so in the financial system, we do that all the time. Now, the measurement of environmental and social impacts is not quite standardized to the same way auditing is. But we're getting closer. Even at COP, there's been major announcements around some of the new disclosures that are required around climate. And there's we're using technology to be able to better measure the types of impacts these are having on people's lives. So let's take an example, off-grid energy. Off-grid energy, people have, um, you know, solar panels installed on their house. They have mini grids installed in a community. It offers access to electricity. We can measure the number of megawatts that are um, added. We can measure the number of people that have access for the first time. We can use cell phone surveys to ask them how that electricity has changed their life. And we can also look at data around spending in those specific areas or by those individuals for income to see how they're using that electricity to be able to better their lives. 
lives. And we can do that relatively cheaply using a combination of qualitative, how has this changed your life? And quantitative, for instance, using drones, satellite images to be able to make sure that they're installed, pings to the off-grid energy um, providers. So there's, there's lots of ways that we can measure things beyond just, did this make a return to the investor? All that information, all that data, one imagines that you've been able to gather quite a bit of that data over time in specific areas, in specific sectors as well, meaning that you're better able to cater, to find what kind of works, what is working and what could probably be of, of, of interest at future times as well, right? We have a lot of data. I would say a lot of our data has not been collected well for a long time. So if you think about organizations that are creating positive impact, a lot of them have taken time to move from paper, so going out and you know asking questions, having clipboards, writing things down, to things that are more digital, which you know they might have a, an iPad or you know some sort of phone, to actually getting to the point where we're collecting verifiable data. So instead of someone having a on a little tablet, having a Google Sheets open and entering information actually having a cell phone scanning a QR code, which we then know the cell phone is geolocated, that scan a specific QR code. So we have information, we can go back and we can verify that. So we're still moving to where we have better verifiable data that you can start to really understand. And also the standardization around what type of data to collect. So the data doesn't look the same. You can't always compare it like for like. And so we're starting to get more to the point where you're able to compare it. And then we can also use things like long-term development studies to help us. Take, for example, things like early childhood development. Mm. We know from lots of long-term studies that if children are not malnourished before two years old, then their brains develop differently. So if they're nourished well into that two-year point, it has significant impact later on. So we don't have to collect data, for instance, on a project that's looking at early childhood development for 18 years. We need to look at you know, essentially a couple years of data. So we can use that interplay between different types of data that's already out there to be able to verify something. Yeah. Do people wait for different times to invest in particular elements or is it just a case of whatever matters is kind of always invested in? It's, it's a really good question, actually. So definitely climate is having its moments, particularly because it has been so many years. If we think about within the impact investing field, two areas that are particularly well developed. So that would be green finance, particularly green infrastructure finance and microfinance. So not necessarily here in South Africa, we haven't had as large of a microfinance and we've obviously had the African bank and we've had, you know, we've had issues with um, large scale credit access, which have actually led to some really good legislation and a better approach, I would say, in South Africa. But those are the two primarily kind of big areas that have had a lot of investment. Other areas are certainly, you know, catching up things like affordable housing, um, healthcare, health tech and ed tech huge in the past 18 months because things are going online. There's lots of opportunity to invest in Africa right now. It is for me what I see um, and I work with you know, investors all across the continent. Fintech, health tech, ed tech. That's sure. where the money is going into because that's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Huge on top markets. And we're starting to see some of these startups really get to the type of scale and start to get some of the exits and the investment capital from overseas. And so that's where we see a lot of potential impact as well. Mm. I suppose that makes it good in a sense that you'll be able to understand where to, what is supposed to grow at a later stage, because that is what is being given the most amount of financing, attention uh, and the like as well. The key elements then to impact investing though, what are those? And I mean in the sense that, you know, what is it that an investor will say to themselves, this is what we're hoping to do in doing this, you know? So what would the key elements to impact investing be? 
It's a good question. It's actually something that we didn't have a lot of agreement on until a couple of years ago. There's a set of principles now that um, impact investors, many have signed up to over 100 of the largest impact investors in the world, representing multiple hundred billions of dollars. And they're called the operating principles for impact management. And what they look at is that you have integrated impact into how you source deals, how you set up your fund, how you manage your portfolio, how you exit your investments, and then you do independent verification for all of that. So it's essentially those principles that impact investors are um, signing up to to say this is best practice. It's not just we're going to invest, we're going to collect some data and hopefully we create some impact. It's actually setting out in our strategy of our fund. For instance, if we're in health tech, we are looking at creating this type of impact So we're looking at the number of people that have access, for instance, to um, quality health care. That's what we're going to measure alongside our financial returns. And what you want to do if you're an impact investor that's looking for something like market rate returns, you need to pick metrics that actually make sense. So, for instance, Leapfrog, which has an office in Johannesburg, one of the largest impact investors in the world, has raised multiple billions of dollars for impact investing. They do a lot in health tech and fintech. And they look at the number of individuals that have access to products for the first time, the quality of those products. Those are very intertwined with their financial results, right? So if those products that they're selling aren't good products, people aren't going to recommend them. They're not going to keep purchasing them. If they're not accessing new markets, then they're eventually going to play in the same markets everyone else is and have high competition. So it's not about saying finance here, impact here. It's looking at where do they overlap? Where can we find ways in which addressing markets and addressing them well and treating customers appropriately uh, actually leads to financial returns? Still to come on Investing in Our Future, acting now and acting well. Still to come on this episode, I speak to Orni about just how well impact financing and investing has performed by way of returns and just how big is the space. So why would anyone want to get into impact investing though? Is it becoming a lot more profitable or is it just a case of morally, this is what we need to do? There's a lot of answers to that. What I always talk about is that there's a spectrum of returns. Just like with traditional financial investments, obviously there's there's the interplay of risk. So if you're taking you know additional risk, you're looking for additional return. The same thing is true in impact investing. But there's also investors that get to choose because impact investing is something that is done by governments. It's done by private equity investors. It's done by debt investors. It's done by individuals. It's done by development institutions. So there's a wide range of options for how you go into it. So you can go in, for instance, Leapfrog, which I mentioned before, top quartile performing private equity fund globally. So it makes, you know, in the top essentially 20% of returns of, you know, all of the different private equity funds in the world. It's making very substantial returns. That's a choice that they've made. They've gone into um, specific, you know, health tech and fintech that are creating large opportunities, fast growth. You also have investors that purposely choose not to make market rate returns. So for instance, another example um, is um, Medical Credit Fund, um, which is a fund here in Africa that actually provides financing for rural and semi-urban health clinics. Now they do that at below market rates. It's a very, it's a relatively safe investment. They have 97% payment rate. They've been doing it for, you know, over a decade. So it's a low risk investment, but they also purposely price that below market. And so there are some investors that are in that 
people that are looking for below market rates as opposed to market rates. So there are choices we can make. Not all problems can be solved with market rate capital. There are some choices where we do need to make some trade-offs, and some of those are short-term trade-offs, some of those are long-term trade-offs. But the answer is, is that purely, and I can say this unequivocally, purely by trying to do good with your capital does not mean you cannot do well. So you can make market rate returns with impact investing, but it's a strategy. Yeah. Just like any strategy, you can also lose money. You can also, you know, make, but you can make purposeful trade-offs. So what I see, some of the funders that I work with, high net worth individuals and foundations are sometimes making purposeful trade-offs. They're saying, I'm not out to make the most out of this capital. I actually am willing to make a lower return because I think that, you know, this capital should have this type of impact. It should be going towards companies that are addressing the bottom of the market as opposed to, you know, the kind of middle of the market. Yeah. So there's some purposeful trade-offs we can make. And I suppose then we go back to the issue of information and data that kind of helps them make those decisions, right? And investing yes. and saying to themselves, okay, I can trade off here because actually I'm going to make either the same and even if it's slightly less, I would have still made a better impact overall. Is that correct? Absolutely. And that's what we see with public markets, ETFs that are coming out that are green, that are innovative. There's all of these different types of funds that are coming out that are saying we are going to purposely choose companies that are being more responsible for the environment. And that falls in the realm of sustainable investing. And what we look at the data for that, and a lot of those funds have actually outperformed the market. So in that case, it's not a trade-off. And then we start seeing some of this climate disclosure. Some really big funds are saying, you can't manage our money unless you understand the climate risk. And so that starts to be, what is climate risk in a portfolio? It's looking at, if you're an insurance company, wow, if there are floods every single year in a specific area, that's going to hurt your bottom line because that's not how your business model works. So there are climate risks, there's inequality risk, there are all of these risks that actually sit in portfolios. And so having the data to be able to say, if we address some of these longer term risks, it can have this effect or yes, I'm willing to trade off. I'm willing to offer below market financing because I know that, for instance, women-owned businesses in rural areas can't support you know, this type of market rate financing. So if I trade this off, I'm able to create this impact by adding access for these individuals. So it's all about having the data to make these decisions. And that's why having additional data to financial data is so important because we want to be able to make decisions that are evidence-based. Mm-hmm. Oni, can you enter this space as any kind of business? Must you be a specific kind of entity? I mean, you're involved with Impact Finance Pro, which is a, a company you co-founded then as well. You know, do you have to be, you know, say that this is what our deal is? Or is this just something that I suppose any entity can go into and just say, this is the space we're going to get into and we're going to be part of this impact financing environment? Absolutely. So, you know, you can think about it from an investment perspective. So as an investment professional, any investment professional or any individual can be an impact investor. We're still in South Africa, still waiting on legislation around equity crowdfunding, which will offer the opportunity for anyone of, you know, any ticket size to be able to invest. That being said, um, as an investor, even as an individual, so for instance, I helped uh, to um, co-found a syndicate of angel investors. We're female angel investors. It's called Dazzle Angel. There's 20 of us between Joburg and Cape Town, and we only invest in female founders. And that's, we did relatively small ticket sizes. 
Because、sure. we put our capital together and we write these checks for female founders, and we've invested in five businesses so far. So that's something that you can do as an individual. You can get your friends together,、mm. put a bit of cash together, and do that. Now, on the other side, obviously, you've got corporates and large institutional funders that are also getting into this、um, and saying we want to recognize the risks and we want to manage our portfolios based off of them. There's big social and environmental bonds that have been issued in South Africa, hundreds of millions of rand. Now, from an entity perspective, you could have corporates or small businesses that are set up and say, "We want to, as、um, a business, recognize the rights of our workers, how our customers interact with us, and we want to be responsible around our, our packaging." So, there's a lot of different ways you can implement impact and sustainability throughout your business, and there's ways that we can think of it from an investment perspective. It's it's The entire、um, universe, in essence. So, how has this space performed then, by way of returns? Sure. So, <laughs> there's a bit of disagreement around how big it is. There's we have a couple of different numbers. The IFC says, based off of their market analysis, they think it's about two trillion dollars、okay. um, impact investing globally. Another, the Global Impact Investing Network, their last calculation said it was about seven hundred billion.、Um, so, somewhere it's <laughs> a pretty big yeah, that's,、um, gap that's, in dollars. Uh, that's a, a varying number. There's seven hundred billion, two or more. Than two trillion. Two trillion. I mean,、yeah. gee, sure. But you know what's interesting is that you know, ten years ago when I started teaching this stuff, I used to have a slide up that said, "By 2020, we may be near a trillion dollars," and people were like, "That's." Crazy! We're never going to get there,、sure. and here we are.、Yeah. You know, it's it's actually like pretty close. So that's about how big it is. It's it's hard because, as I said, there are impact investors that you know call themselves impact investors, and there are investors on the continent that actually track impact, and it's part of their thesis. But they don't call themselves an impact investor、mm. because of this returns issue. Historically, being seen as an impact investor, often on the continent, was being seen as investing in not as profitable businesses, and、yeah. so some investors steered away from that. They just said. We're doing health tech, and we're investing in really good healthcare companies that are providing access. But don't call us an impact investor. So you can do impact investing in every asset class. It's not an asset class itself, which is a common misconception. You can do impact investing in real estate, in private equity, in public equity,、yes. in private debt, in public debt. You know, essentially, in all of the asset classes. And so there are some asset managers that have done exceptionally well with impact investing,、mm. and then there are others, you know, that may not have performed as well. It's just—it's one of those things that's really difficult to tell. What we can say, and what we have seen, is that there's no automatic discount. Sure. So there's no—I'm an impact investor. I'm going to automatically make this、yeah. much less. Yeah. So we've seen the same variation we see with traditional financial portfolios. Some do very well. Some do not. Do you care to venture into another prediction? Maybe you said by 2020 would be close to that trillion mark. Care to venture into a figure for the industry by 2030 and and and, and moving on? <laughs> um, yes, I will. But first, before I do,、mm. I'd say one of the things that we're going to do differently, and this is what、um, the book that I just recently wrote, Adventure Finance, is about different structures and and actually how capital is allocated. Yeah. And so, in addition to growing, so in addition to having more money, impact finance. I think we're on the cusp of a revolution in how money is allocated. Yes. So really thinking beyond traditional venture capital, private equity, and really thinking about what's best for 
SMEs on the ground that are providing employment, that are providing you know dignified lives for individuals and, and products. And you know, in the book, I look at essentially 17 different types of financing structures that are underutilized um, by investors. So I think that it's not just about the amount of capital that's yeah. going to grow. It's actually about how financial markets themselves work. So I think realistically, uh, we can be in the multiple trillions, hopefully by 2030. But what I hope is that instead of, so here's an analogy. Yeah. Uh, I lived in India for a few years. And in India, when you order a meal um, at um, a you know, conference or something, they ask you, are you veg or non-veg? So you're, you're either vegetarian or non-vegetarian. Yes. I really hope that by 2030, people are asking, are you non-sustainable? Why are you investing in yeah. something that is not sustainable? And so that means then it's the market is moving in conjunction with what we need to achieve. And that's where I really hope that we'll get to. Orni Peyton Power, this has been absolutely wonderful. It's a, it's a powerful conversation and one I think matters so, so much. And I think we've gotten to grips to that understanding that we all can make a difference. Actually, we don't need to just wait for the multinationals or even just wait for international governments to play a part in creating a sustainable future for ourselves as well. So thank you so much for joining us as we try to get to grips with all of this, right? And and try to understand not just impact investing, but everything around it. So author and associate fellow at the University of Oxford, Oni Payton Power. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it on your social networks. The more people acting well and acting now, the better. Remember to subscribe via your favorite podcast apps in order to receive the episodes as they launch in quick succession. If you have comments on what has been covered, please further the conversation using hashtag Powering Impact. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well with Arabile Kumede. This podcast series is dedicated to considering what decisions we need to commit to in order to see meaningful change. Powered by Standard Bank.